Well, good morning again, and welcome to those joining us online. I think there's a few people home sick today. Ryan, I hope you're watching and not just faking it, so um, that's for you. Uh, Jim and Lori, Jonathan, who joins us regularly from Ithaca. Um, also, just continue to be praying for ben, um, Bill and Jen Moreland. Uh, Bill's come out of ma malaria, and now Jen is just very sick. They're not sure what it is, so be praying for them. They're Difference Maker Partners over in Papua New Guinea, and uh, so please be praying for them. And uh, again, thank you for joining us online. It's great to have you here in our online community. So what is your response when you drive by a police officer going too fast or way too fast? Do you slow down right afterwards or is that too obvious? You know, you drive by and all these red light, you know, that. What, what do you do? And uh, the real kicker question is, is how quickly do you get over that and get going fast again? You know, I don't know about you, but there, there's been at least one time where I passed an officer of the law and I know I'm going way too fast and heart beating and, you know, I slow down and I look in the rearview mirror and he's not coming after me and I'm like, thank you, thank you, Jesus, thank you, thank you. And then 10 minutes later, it's like, all right, let's go. And you're going just as fast as before. You know, um, it's like playing with fire. And we've been talking about setting the table for talking about these hot topics that are too um, hot to touch. You can't touch this. And as we've been doing that, we've been trying to set a little bit of an understanding, a matrix, a grid to look through as we start to get into these subjects. And I know some of you are going, let's get into it now. But I want to set the table, help us to think about who we are and how we walk through this. If you're just joining us for the first time, uh, we've talked about five C's, uh, five ways to look at the options we have. And I'm not going to rehearse those right now. And uh, even the commandments that are absolute black and white, uh, you have the option whether you follow it or not. That, that's your call. God's not forcing himself on you. So we take all our options and we try to filter them in and see where they fit in those five things and then how we're going to respond to them, how we're going uh, to play it out. And uh, what's hard for us, those of us who are Christ followers, those of us who have uh, been really a part of the church scene for uh, for a long time is that uh, when, uh, in a sense, uh, Christianity uh, had more influence in our culture, influence in our society, uh, many of us became so overconfident that uh, we came across as judgmental. And actually, we didn't come across as judgmental. We were judgmental. Uh, we came across as uh, just unkind and not loving, and so whenever we get eventually into some of these hot topics, uh, we're going to have to pull back, and probably a lot of times you're going to hear me apologizing, because we as Christ followers haven't had a approach uh, to these issues with kindness, gentleness, and yes, firmness. We've talked about, you know, valuating the person, uh, you know, being able to differ on behavior, but we haven't done that right. And some of the blowback we're experiencing now is because of how we behaved 20, 30, 40 years ago. So we're kind of what goes around comes around. So as we're talking about this, we need to understand this. And with that, this overconfidence that we are right, someone is wrong, 
And it's okay to be confident that you're right, feel good about your position, your view. But when it's overconfident, again, it comes through as arrogance. And sometimes we got it wrong. And I'm not going to go through all that right now, but sometimes we got it wrong. Uh, sometimes we actually wrote people off that shouldn't be written off. Uh, again, valuing the person, the person's made in the image of God. All of our uh, behavior not always doesn't line up with what God expects and God wants. But there's been certain segments that we've just kind of put the hammer down, and, and that, that's incorrect. So this overconfidence, we, we need to really think about it. I don't want you to second-guess yourself. Confidence is good. But overconfidence that's judgmental and arrogant and just mean-spirited is absolutely wrong. I mean, Jesus told us no fancier than this. Be nice. Love God and love others. And yet there are times where Jesus loves others, but he's firm on what is right or wrong. Last week we saw that Malcolm Gladwell said this, incompetence annoys, overconfidence terrifies. Terrifies, yeah. It fries, yeah, terrifies. Yeah, I can't say that word. All right, uh, you know what I mean. And uh, it's because when you have uh, the, the power, the weight of, of uh, going in a certain direction, and you use it, and you're functioning out of overconfidence, the ripple effects of that can be devastating. And uh, last week, we cited that example from uh, the Civil War. And again, you can go back and take a look at that. And so really, when you and I are overconfident, we don't listen to the other person, at least to understand where they're coming from, even when it's in error, we need to understand where they're coming from, listen to them, show the love of Christ. Uh, it's really a, a self-centeredness that we're projecting. Uh, a, a great, great futurist, uh, maybe even a theologian, uh, said this, uh, Christopher Pike, captain, uh, admiral eventually, do you know what a pain you are? You think the rules don't apply to you. There's greatness in you, but there's not an ounce of humility. You think that you can't make mistakes, but there's going to come a moment when you realize you're wrong about that, and you're going to get yourself and everyone under your command killed. He said this to Captain Kirk. And uh, there is, if you slow down and look at that, there are examples where we as Christ followers uh, don't think the rules apply to us. We live a hypocritical life and uh, no humility, overconfidence, pride, arrogance, and don't think we can make mistakes. Hopefully you're not making tons of them, but none of us are perfect. None of us have arrived. And there's going to be a moment where it gets others hurt because of that overconfidence. And again, I want to emphasize, there's nothing wrong with having confidence, um, being sure about something. But we're talking overconfidence, self-righteousness, that kind of thing. Uh, Paul uh, says it this way, when it comes to all these options, all these things that are before us, when it comes to how to decide about them, he says this way, look at it one way, you could say anything goes, those of us, again, who understand the grace of God and all of that, because of God's immense generosity and grace, 
We don't have to dissect and scrutinize every action to see if it'll pass muster. But the point is not to just get by. And when you and I live a life that's just getting by as a Christ follower, it affects our influence in our community. People don't buy it. People have second thoughts because uh, we're just getting by. And so, again, as we're looking at uh, this idea of things that are too hot to touch, this idea of just getting by, about getting what's ours, we've talked about our rights and those things in previous messages, uh, we, we really need to be aware of this. Uh, earlier on, Paul says this, he says, don't be so naive and so self-confident that, that you're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God confidence. So as we walk through this, I, I, think, I, I think we're going to find that there is enough information for transformation of our hearts. I think uh, with the Holy Spirit, we've talked about uh, one of the persons of the Trinity, uh, about how he leads and guides us, that you and I can navigate the craziness in our world. It will take some time to think about it. It will take some time to digest it. But it is possible. Because if it isn't possible, then God has set us up for uh, failure. He set us up to live a certain way where he hasn't given us the ability to actually live that way. So I, I think it's possible, more than possible. It just means that you and I need to slow down and digest. You and I need to be growing in our knowledge of the scriptures and see how the timeless truths intersect with our culture today. And that takes a little work. It takes a little research. Uh, the funniest thing about it is, and most of us now don't even use these, but I remember all the time I spent trying to figure out how to make my uh, VCR record a show when I wasn't there I spent a ton of time and I still wouldn't get it right and finally I figured it out and yet at the same time when it comes to things in our spiritual life walking with God we don't spend the same energy trying to figure out how our VCRs used to record as we spend more in that than we spend trying to figure out these things out as we walk with God things are out of, out of balance so uh, last week we saw that overconfidence can be based on God's goodness. Um, we actually show contempt for his grace. We know that he's loving, he's kind, uh, he won't write us off. So, so a little uh, lackadaisical with, with uh, following his lead in our life. Uh, uh, we you know, feel we have a little bit more room in that because he's not going to put the hammer down on us. And so we kind of, you know, again, become uh, a little bit arrogant for that because we are just... Uh, um, just overconfident in his goodness. And yes, we can rest on his goodness. We can, we can be just so thankful for that. But it actually can show up in the way we live and overconfidence that gets us to be a little sloppy with our lives. And uh, we can react like these two guys. Well, a new apprentice you have, Emperor. Master Yoda, you survived. Your arrogance blinds you, Master Yoda. It's so powerful, you are. Why me? You will 
like stop and you're like, oh boy, this is the whole movie. Well, you're going to see that both of those individuals, if you know the storyline, were actually overconfident and arrogant and it affected the whole galaxy. And so we can be blinded by our arrogance, by our overconfidence. And uh, that uh, doesn't help us move the ball down the field at all. It actually causes lots of uh, problems. So we can be overconfident because of God's goodness. We talked about that last week. And this week, because of that overconfidence, it can be expressed through risky behavior. Uh, you and I can uh, get too close to the guardrails, go over the guardrails, do things that we really uh, shouldn't do as Christ followers. And again, sometimes we want to steer away from do's and don'ts and faces and all about that. But there are some right things and there are some right wrong things. You can have absolute truths. Sometimes in society, there are no absolutes. Well, well that's not, that's an absolute. How can that be? No absolute. Anyway. You get the idea is that uh, the, we do have things that are right and wrong. And when you and I become overconfident, especially as Christians, it involves uh, risky behavior. You see this in verses 5 through 6. But just experiencing God's wonder and grace, remember referring back to the Older Testament, referring back to when God used Moses to deliver the Israelites from 400 years of captivity and slavery, and uh, so they experienced all those wow moments uh, that you can read about. Uh, that didn't mean much. Most of them were defeated by temptation during the hard times in the desert. And God was not pleased. The same thing could happen to us. We must be on guard so that we never get caught up in wanting our own way as they did. They wanted their way so much that it just caused problems. Uh, those of us who are parents have had situations where we know uh, something just isn't going to work out well for our child, and we say no, but they want it, they want it, they want it, and every once in a while we say, throw up our hands and go, all right, go ahead and do it, see how that works out for you. Now, we can't do that all the time. That would be irresponsible as a parent, but sometimes we use that as a teaching lesson. When um, the psalmist was rehearsing all that the Israelites went through, I actually came across this this week. It's not in your notes. Uh, came across this in Psalm 81, verse 12. Uh, so I, God, let go of the reins and told them, run, do it your own way. And every time I come across that kind of idea in Scripture from my personal reading, I usually respond with, Lord, please don't let go of the reins in my life. If I'm pushing, 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 please don't give up on me. Please don't say, okay, do it your own way. Because I could go back and look at some times where I did it my own way, and it wasn't a win for my life. And it affected others. Just even switching schools when I was in college, I went to a school down in Virginia, Liberty University. It was big. I didn't like being down south. I'm definitely a northern guy. I uh, didn't like all of that. 
And uh, then I found out that there was a smaller school in Maine, much smaller, so I thought easier. So I thought, okay, I think I'm going to go to that other school. It allowed me the finances and such so I could have a car. I wanted a car. I found a car. So finally I pushed it and God opened the door to that. And it, God was gracious. It worked all out. Graduated from that school, put some other things in motion. But I always wonder what my life would be like if I hadn't taken the, what I perceived to be the easier way. You know what? God has a sense of humor in that case. Being in a small Bible college where you couldn't hide actually was harder than being in a big school where you could hide because they actually knew me. And I can remember passing a test in a, a paper, and I think I was spirit leadership warp, and uh, the professor gave me uh, not a great grade on it. And uh, I had a buddy who had written a paper, same kind of paper. I looked at his paper. His paper wasn't as good as mine, personal opinion. And so I went into the professor, a little brash, and said, hey, I ran, read Dan's paper, and he got a B plus. I read my paper, obviously. I got a C. What gives? Well, David, you actually had a better paper. So why didn't you get a better grade? Because you could have done better. That was B plus work for Dan. That was C, C minus work for you. And all of a sudden I went, uh-oh, I should have stayed at the other school. <laughs> but you get the idea. I beg God, don't let me have my own way. Your way, not my way. So when we're thinking about this overconfidence, when we're thinking about uh, you know, the behavior that it produces in our life, the actions, uh, we have to ask ourselves some questions, and we have to ask, first of all, ourselves the question, what is your answer? And when I say, what is your answer, what is your answer for life? What would make life perfect in your mind? If this just happened, if that just happened, uh, if this person, that person, this thing. Because sometimes even those of us who have said yes to Jesus think that life would get a lot better if this happened, forgetting that life got a lot better when Jesus walked into our life. What is your answer, Jesus or something else? Whenever it's something else, someone else, then all of a sudden, the focus point, the God of my life has slipped from Jesus to something else. So if there's a job out there, um, if, you know, if I'm uh, struggling in marriage and I'm like, man, if I just married that person, then life would have been perfect. If my kids acted like this, that would be perfect. If my parents acted like this, then my life would be perfect. You know, if I, you know, whatever, if there's anything in that blank that isn't God, you and I have slipped into idolatry because we're saying something else is the answer for our life. Doesn't matter. It doesn't mean we can't enjoy life. It doesn't mean that uh, all these blessings in life, all these good things, uh, you, you know, whatever it is. I've talked to you before. I love having an iPhone. 
Uh, you know, I'm just like, thank you. Got a little bit of iPhones, you know, in his time. You know, I wouldn't want to have been in 1850 when he had to ride a horse. So thank you, thank you, thank you. But uh, so there's nothing wrong with enjoying those things. But when they become the answer of your life, when your head hits the pillow and you said, if just this would happen, then life would be perfect. Something has slipped into the spot reserved for God. And when you allow that to happen, when I allow that to happen, uh, it, it's just not a good fit. There's a hole in our heart, a hole in our soul, only safe for God's presence in our life. So, you know, I've said this, identity, identify idols in your life, assess which things or people you rely on to do what only Jesus can do. Only Jesus can do. And some of us, uh, you know, have to learn the hard way. And uh, we just try everything, 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 everything. And it, it satisfies for maybe a little while. Uh, but then it doesn't do it. So instead of going, oh, it must be Jesus. It must be God. Then we start seeking something else out. Promotion at work. A little more money or this or that. And, and it's never going to fill that spot in our life. And this isn't for the person who hasn't said yes to Christ only. This isn't for the person who's a new Christian. It's the person that's been a Christ follower forever, it seems. You and I can do the same thing when we want the answer of our life filled with somebody besides Jesus. We are asking those things to do what only Jesus can do. You know, in premarital counseling, remind the couples, I have to remind myself, your new spouse does not complete your life. Your new spouse just complements your life. And uh, a couple times I write little notes to Cindy every once in a while. And I remember when we was doing, I was doing premarital counseling and I was writing a little love missy note for her. And, and, and I said, you know, sometimes I feel like a fraud when I say God is the only one who completes their life. Because I tell you, you come pretty close to completing my life. So, I love you a lot. I'm not trying to make Jesus is the one who completes my life, but you sure do complement my life, and you know what I'm talking about. So, you know Cindy, you know me. Go, you're right, Dave. You're very fortunate. Lucky son of a gun. All right. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. And if you know the story, uh, they get out of uh, Egypt. Um, God, uh, Moses goes up to meet with God for 40 days, and uh, he's up there. And they get so squirrely that they get Aaron, <laughs> Moses' brother, to make a golden calf. So they can say the golden calf brought them out of Egypt. And it just, just goes crazy. It didn't take them, you know, a month or two to, to go off the deep end and to say, that calf is the answer to our life. And we look back, you know, you know, all these thousands of years and go, oh, you, you, you foolish people. Yet we do the same thing. John writes this. He says, so little children, some of us go, ooh, I don't want to be referred to as a little child. But if we're following Christ, we're his, he's our father. We are little children. Guard yourselves from worshiping anything but him. Never let the gift become your object of, of worship. 
always have the gifted giver the object of your worship. And that can be so hard. God brings something nice into our life, and we put it in our hands, and we hold on real tight because we start to think, man, this is what makes my life work. And that's worshiping the gift, not the gift giver. Now we deep in, dive into the uh, deep end of the pool, and I'm just going to say these things briefly. You, can, you, you know what I'm talking about here. But with the Israelites, they went off the rails. I mean, that, that Moses is up on the mountain. If you remember, uh, Joshua is with him. And Joshua says, hey, I think I hear uh, battle and war going on down off the mountain. And Moses says, no, it's not that. They are partying big time with all the debauchery that could, you could imagine going with that. And so we see Paul reminding the Corinthians this. Sexual experience outside of God's will is a no-no. First Corinthians, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. And that's what that means. And uh, Corinthian church was guilty of this. You could go through and just see all the craziness that was going on there. So what is outside of God's will? And uh, this is real harsh. I don't even know how to put, get my mind around it. God was so upset. They were being so disobedient that this is what it says in verse 8. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. What do you do with a passage like that? Some would say, oh, God changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament. I don't think so. It just shows the people were off the rails. And if you see, uh, you think of uh, Noah's Ark, joke about that. It's not really a great bedtime story when you really think about it. Uh, you think about uh, when the people move into the promised land and all the shifting of people coming out and going out. It, it's, just, it's, just not, it's just not great at all. It's, it's not good. But th this, you can't take away from this. They were in upward rebellion. God had delivered them. And God is God. Well, that's not fair. Well, actually, it's not fair that any of us have a relationship with God because we are sinful, our human condition. So, so it's the flip side of it. it. It's not fair that any of us, in a sense, he extends grace to because none of us deserve it by our actions. We bring nothing to the table, nothing to the equation. And that sounds so hard, and I don't like saying it, but that's what is taught. So again, if you're going to look at the scriptures and you're going to say, I'm going to understand the scriptures. There are some passages that I honestly can't unpack, but most of them we can. You're going to have to integrate those in the way you live if you're a Christ follower, because you're going to follow God's word and you're going to try to have it lived out in your life. In the last month, we've talked about, so what is God's view on this? Uh, Jesus said it very simply, uh, not very complex. This is what he says. Haven't you read the scriptures about creation? Jesus replied, the creator made us male and female from the very beginning. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and live with his wife. And the two will become one flesh. From then on, they are no longer two, but united as one. So what God unites, let no one divide. And that's the blueprint. Doesn't need to be more words than that. That's where intimacy is to take place. That's God's preferred plan. 
God allows. You can look at uh, some of the passages where Jesus talks about divorce, and uh, they say, well, what about Moses? Moses allowed for marriages to break up. And he goes, that's because of the hardness of your heart. You, you know, we're crazy if we're getting married expecting the marriage not to work. I don't think anyone gets married to think it's not going to work. But we live in a broken world. We're broken. Things in life happen. doesn't make it right. We need to understand that. But anyone, ideally, it's great to get married and be with that person. That's why we celebrate. Uh, we see, you know, people, uh, I think the Hunts just celebrated 45 years, uh, you know. And, you know, and everyone's like, yay, because that is wonderful when that happens. So when it comes to intimacy inside of marriage, it's God's plan for it. And uh, when it's in that setting, that's good. And so you and I, again, because we're overconfident, um, we, you know, we, we're, not, we're not fearful towards God, and we go, but he's my friend. Yes, he's your friend, but he's also God, and there's this tension between those two things. So, so you need to, yes, he can be your friend. You can, in a sense, figuratively climb up in his lap, and he wants you there, but he's also God Almighty. It's a weird thing. Uh, you see that sometimes with, uh, you watch the, we've been watching the royal family a little bit more in Great Britain, and we see this weird thing happen where it's the queen, but that's also my mother. It's the king, but that's also my dad. And there's this, there's this, there's this little difference. You know, there's things that happen when it's, you know, that show respect, and then there's also pieces that that's my dad, that's my mom. And, uh, you know, and it's the same thing with God. So when we're thinking about all of this and we're thinking about overconfident and risky behavior, uh, a part of this risky behavior is trying God's patience. Trying God's patience. I can uh, remember uh, making my mother so mad <laughs> that she said, you, I'm sure you can't believe this, she said, I am so mad at you, I'm not even going to thank you. What that meant is I will kill you because you've been so bad so i'm not gonna lay a hand on you and i'm sorry some of you i needed spankings before breakfast after breakfast mid-morning all the time because you just talking to me it wasn't doing anything i needed a little bit of a pain and then when i got older the pain stopped and punishments happened and i can remember telling my dad one day uh, he grounded me because my grades weren't where they should be and, and i said dad just spank me spank me for an hour i don't you know then, and then let me off to not be grounded. He goes, no, Dave, the punishment fits the crime. Now we've switched over. We're not doing this spanking thing. You just can't go out besides going to school for the next two weeks. Ooh, so anyway, we try God's patience. Um, we're risky with what we do. Uh, and again, there's this, there's this weird little thoughts of what happened in the Older Testament as the people were trying God's patience. You see, we should not have tested test Christ as some of them did and they were killed with snakes there's this weird thing where these poisonous snakes come out and and it's all going on but the idea again is that they were trying God's patience uh, you can look at that they were just uh, they were griping about the fact that uh, they wanted to go back to Egypt because uh, they weren't happy being free from their slavery they forgot all the 
crying and moaning they had done for like 400 years. And finally, God got them out. And now they didn't like that. They wanted to go back. They even talk about the different kind of food they wanted back then. And, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just, it's just crazy, which leads us into this next kind of idea, trying God's patience. And uh, none of us want to find where he says, okay, go your own way, hands off, have it your way. But there is this idea that uh, we can try God's patience. And then there's this idea that uh, with that, it's because sometimes we're never satisfied. We're never satisfied about anything. I mean, they grumbled. I mean, they saw the deliverance. Some of us watched the Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston. You know, we've seen that every Easter time. They put that on, and you look at all those mirrors, and it's like, wow, what a deliverance. And these people were grumbling about it. Sometimes I'd say, man, I'd say this in, my community, in our community group, say, wow, I just wish I could see one of those kind of like wow miracles. Yeah, and I know there's miracles in my life, and God, you know, say this, this, and anytime anyone accepts the Lord, that's a miracle and all those kinds of things. But I mean, like, you know, you know, like, uh, you know, walking across Seneca Lake and what? Of course, we talked about how that's too deep, so I don't think I'd want to go down 600 feet and come up the other side. Shallow lake would be suffice, 10 feet, and just, you know, that'd be awesome. i go, all right. But these people saw that, and it didn't seem to change their behavior. They were pressed for God. They just grumbled and grumbled and grumbled. And uh, you can look at that. Uh, the passages are there. And uh, this idea of never being satisfied. Nothing's ever good enough. We're griping all the time. Doesn't mean you need to be content in the sense of, uh, you know, you need to grow your life and all those kinds of things, but uh, very unsatisfied people. Uh, I love what Paul says about learning the secret of contentment. He says this in Philippians I've learned to be satisfied with what I have and whatever happens. I've learned the secret of how to live through any kind of situation. When I have had enough to eat, or when, I have, or when I'm hungry, when I've had everything I need, or when I have nothing, Christ is the one who gives me the strength I need to do whatever I must do. Christ, again, is the answer. So when I have a lot of stuff, things are humming along, and things seem to be wonderful, I'm satisfied in Christ. Those things don't slip in and take his position. When I'm at the bottom and things are hard, it is Jesus in my life that satisfies. And yeah, it would be nice if I had this or that or this wasn't happening, but bottom line is he is my satisfier. And when you and I become overconfident, we become a little arrogant, a lot self-righteous, we find that nothing satisfies. And we move on. One more little answer to the situation. Again, if you and I are going to be touching these hot topics, we need to make sure our heart's in the right place, that we're not overconfident as we approach these subjects. So we see this, an overconfidence corrected by perceiving an ancient warning. You go, wow, what is that? Got to remember the scriptures, you know, sometimes I joke to someone, you know, you know, you got the Older Testament, the Newer Testament. The Newer Testament is still pretty old. I mean, it's old. So you got the Old, Old, Old Testament, and you got the Older but New Testament. And uh, these are ancient things, but they stood the test of time, not just as good axioms to live by, but actually good things to live by as you walk with God and the Spirit reminds you of them. So verse 11, we read, These are all warning markers, danger in our history books. 
written down so that we don't repeat their mistakes. Our position is in our position in the story are parallel. They are at the beginning, we're at the end, history of God, and we are just as capable of messing it up as they were. So the warning is don't look down on the Israelites because you're them too, in a sense. I'm not saying on a theological basis, but I'm saying in the human condition kind of thing. We are them. We are as capable of messing up as they are. So we need to perceive this warning. We need to own this warning. We need to digest this and savor the taste of it in our mouth regularly because it will help affect our overconfidence or our confidence becoming overconfident, the goodness of God being taken for granted. Verse 12, we've read it a couple times. Don't be so naive and self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget all about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God confidence. And when we start to get into these too hot to touch places, we need to be functioning out of God confidence. You need to cultivate it. You need to grow it in your life. I think you need to continually grow it into your life. It isn't like you grow it once and there's the flower, there's the plant, there's the vegetable, and you're like, oh, done with that. No, you're continually cultivating it. You're continually putting things in your life, taking things out of your life that makes your God confidence grow and be completely rooted in your life, in my life. And then I love verse 13. The only temptation that you have are the same temptations that all people have. So looking back to Israel, looking back to what they went through, they are the same. We have this human condition. Even though we have a relationship with God, our heart is changing. We don't have to earn our way to heaven. We don't have to earn our way to him. Our good works are, are nice expressions of faithfulness, but they're not like the, the money, the currency that earns our way in. And so we all have the same temptations, but you and I can trust God. He will not let you be tempted more than you can bear. I don't know, sometimes if I totally believe that, I go, wow, this temptation's pretty huge. It's pretty hard. But Paul's reminding us, you with God can bear up under it. It doesn't mean it's going to totally disappear. There's some temptations in life that never go away. There's some in life where our heart has changed and and it's no longer no longer we no longer have an appetite for it. I love when that happens. I love when there was something that I knew was out of alignment with what God would have me to be, do whatever, and I wanted to eat it. I wanted to taste it. I wanted it, and all of a sudden the taste is gone. That does happen. But then there are some things that we always have an appetite for. But God, we can trust Him that we can bear up under it. But when you are tempted, God will also give you a way of escape. So take a look and look back at Joseph. He had a way of escape. Joseph from the Old Testament, not Jesus' father, Joseph. He had a way of escape. God provides that. Sometimes it's a split-second moment, but he provides that for you and I. Then you will be able to endure it. God has not put us on this planet as Christ followers and set us up to failure. It's not like he said, you know, uh, you know, walk, follow me, be holy as I'm holy, meaning separate life unto him, all those kinds of things. He doesn't say all those things, not expecting it or expecting it's impossible for us to do it. Uh, 
he knows that with him it is possible. We can endure. We can say no to temptation. We can say no to the second look. The second, all of a sudden, something catches our eyes and we go, wait a minute, that's wrong for me, and alter our course. We can do that. We can walk that way. So as we think about all this, as we continue to set the table for discussing these hot topics, we need to be reminded that confidence in God renews while overconfidence in self ruins. No ifs and buts about it. If, when we are overconfident in self, it will have negative impacts in our life, especially when we're trying to wrestle with some of these hot topics, trying to wrestle with them for our own life, but then also to point others in the direction that uh, we've come to come with our conclusions about that. So it's so, so important. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for this. We thank you for the way you speak into our lives in the here and now. Uh, this isn't uh, material. These aren't ideas for some other time. They're ideas and concepts for today. And Father, I'm so thankful that none of us, none of us have to go it alone. We have you to complete our lives. We're thankful for the things that complement our lives but help us not to find our completion in them, but only in you. And we're thankful that you can help us to guard our hearts so, yes, we can have a confidence, but not a self-confidence, not an overconfidence. So as, you, as we all try to digest uh, these subjects, we ask that you give us insight, you give us the help. I'm thankful that no matter what temptation any of us in this room are facing, that uh, you are sufficient to help us to see us through it, help us to bear under, underneath it, and we just uh, thank you for that so much. In Jesus' name.